Hey everybody, we're back with another Commission podcast. This time, the Commissioner selected the 1993 action um, thriller, The yeah. Fugitive, starring uh, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, among many others. Um, Dr. Ken is the guy who, uh, who uh, commissioned this podcast. I'm going to get right to his uh, thoughts real quick. says, as for this commission, I debated a while on what to choose. I was very pleased with the my last one on The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I thought this was a great podcast, and it turned I think it turned a few people on a great movie. They might not not, not otherwise have checked out. At least two yeah. guys sitting here in this room. Uh-huh. I wanted to try to recreate that with this one and chose a classic that people may not have checked out, but I thought the odds of catching lightning in a bottle twice are pretty long. So I said, screw it. We're doing The Fugitive. Fun movie. Great performances from Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Lots of great action. I won't get into any overarching themes or anything like that. It's just a movie that Shawshanks me every time. I was working in downtown Chicago when this came out, so it was a bit of nostalgia for me. Mm-hmm. When he's running through the plaza and through the parade, that was the view from my office window at the time. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. He's got some other questions for us that we'll get to later in the podcast, but what is your relationship with this movie? How many, have you seen it before? How long's, what's the last time you've seen it? And kind of what do you think after reviewing it with modern eyes? Yeah, so I think this is a great pick because I have a feeling that Anybody who didn't see it back in the day probably hasn't gone back to watch it. So I think you might actually be turning some people on to a new thing. The only thing I might say wrong about that is it seems like it's disproportionately on cable TV. I, I mean, I know it was in, like, the 90s, but hmm. if, if you were born in, like, 95, 98, yeah. I don't know that you ever even saw this movie or even knew about and, it. And who sits around watching... You know, these days nobody watches cable. Come on, right, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. And the other reason it's it's a great pick is because I did watch it back in the day, and I have a lot of uh, fondness for this movie. I watching it, I was surprised at how much I remembered it because it's been at least a decade since I've seen it, maybe a decade and a half or so. Um, but I could still almost go beat for beat with this movie and know exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and there there are a lot of like super memorable scenes like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that jump from the dam was kind of the thing it was known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and the but, train wreck. Yeah, yeah, that was a spectacular scene back then. Um, you know, not done with CG, so right, <laughs> uh, tough tougher to pull off. But yeah, I, I just have a lot of fondness for this movie. It was kind of one of the first really adult films I think I ever saw. I want, yeah, I definitely want to talk about that angle of it because um, I was, see, I was about 13 when I saw this movie. My parents took me to, and I was excited because, you know, Harrison Ford, uh, as a kid, I always grew up, you know, kind of idolizing him for um, uh, Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Um, of course, I didn't get to see a lot of his more adult work because it was rated R and I was a little kid. Yeah. So this was like a PG kind of 13. Family, well, I mean, you know, my age family kind of film, and I was I was really blown away. Like um, Harrison Ford in this is a lot different than like Han Solo or Indiana Jones. Totally, yeah. And I think it's probably my first introduction to Tommy Lee Jones. I might have seen him in The Coal Miner's Daughter, something because I, I remember my mom and dad watching that movie, and I didn't get a lot out of it. I'm like, God, this is a fucking boring movie. <laughs> um, uh, and I huh. was, yeah. Now that you mention it. I think it might have been my first TLJ experience as well. Right, a young Tommy. He still looked like he was forty-five, but um, I and and I, I I was 
surprised that this movie held up as well as it did. Now, it was it made a shit ton of money back in the day, which should have been a first clue that it probably was going to hold up like a champ. Mm-hmm. But And I'm like you. like I, I feel like 80% of this movie, I, I I knew. There was a couple of beats where I didn't quite know how it would go. Or like, man, how does he get out of this one? Yeah. Um, but the thing that's really remarkable is that this movie really doesn't ever stop. That's true. If yeah. there's not action going on, there is plot happening, um, and you're you're kind of wrapped up in a mystery. And they sell, they sell the kind of tenacious tenacity of Tommy Lee Jones and his squad pitted against the intelligence and resourcefulness of Richard Kimball. And he never feels like he's and it's 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 a very rare movie where you feel for both sides of the equation. Like when we watched Three Ten to Yuma, mm, we yeah. were like. At various points, you know, excited about, well, just, you know, maybe Russell Crowe will get her well, but then what about uh, Christian Bale? Bale? There's a couple movies where you kind of feel minute by minute who you're rooting for, or if there's a way that both of them could win. Yeah. And this movie keeps that tension throughout and actually finds a way for both of them to win. Tommy Lee Jones gets his man. And Indiana Jones uh, gets uh, proclaimed innocent. <laughs> the Jones brothers. The Jones. <laughs> <laughs> the Jones boys strike again. Yep. Um, I, I and that's 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 really hard to do, and and makes it really really satisfying. Mm. And the thing that really works about it is, at no point does Richard Kimball feel like he's just clowning Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, sure. You know, like, he's just barely, with all of his resourcefulness and guile and his connections inside the hospital, able to stay a step or two ahead of him. Yeah. Um, But, but so it kind of respects both sides of it, which I thought was was nice. Yeah, and I I was reading um, Roger Ebert's review on this, and he said it way more eloquently um, and intelligently than I ever could, but the action and the tension um, seems in a way smarter than a lot of other movies it mm-hmm. seems almost like inevitable um and, and i really think it's based on like who these characters are mm-hmm. you know the the action scenes never feel contrived in any right. way it's always like well this guy needs to do this thing because it's the only option he has at his disposal right. um and tommy lee jones is desperately uh searching for you know his man and i i think the fact that they're both really smart they're both really driven. They're both um, they both have clear goals. Mm-hmm. Makes the action in this movie even better than it could be by itself. And it's also pretty amazing how efficiently this film was set up. Like they sell the concept of you know Dr. Richard Kimball, and he's this you know respected member of the community because he's at a benefit for children. And he's mm-hmm. got a beautiful wife that they're very much in love because she goes home. And even though these people are in their late 40s, early 50s, she's still throwing rose petals around and putting on lingerie for the guy. Mm-hmm. And 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 Celia Ward does just a heroic death scene. Like I, I can remember like uh, by my 13-year-old eyes are probably big as saucers because um, it's, it's, it's pretty gripping. Like, you know, the, the, um, the courtroom scene where they're playing her 911 call. Um, I do feel like as I'm watching this in adults, it it does feel like the Chicago PD are just kind of uh, railroading this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little uh, to make to, to to make a murderer kind of thing going on with with Richard Kimball, but I don't know the way they play that courtroom scene. It does seem 
Like, I mean, the motives don't make sense. As, and, and I think part of the they reason yeah. is so Tommy Lee Jones can come in halfway through the movie and be like, oh, fuck, it, I'm going to reinvestigate this whole thing. And he starts poking holes right away. Yeah. Because our, our first question watching it was, why would a, a respected, highly paid vascular surgeon in Chicago be worried about his wife's money? Right. So much that he would want to kill her. Yeah. He's already rich. Well, she's r- richer. <laughs> right. It's and like, Tommy okay. Lee Jones comes in and he says exactly what we're thinking. Right. Uh, which is, you know, the sign of a, a smart script, I think. Right. And I, I want to say because – so this was directed by Andrew Davis who uh, directed Under Siege – the, okay, the, the, the things Seagal. I've heard of, a Steven Seagal vehicle, uh-huh. which I don't think much of, Chain Reaction, which is a Keanu, <laughs> Keanu Reeves, Reeves vehicle that has the single most preposterous action scene I've ever seen. Yeah. Where this guy outruns a nuclear reaction <laughs> on a scooter. On a moped, On a moped, yeah. yeah. And Holes, a Disney adapt- adaptation huh. of a novel that I've that I've never read and I've never seen. Mm-mm. Jeb Stewart, primarily noted for writing Die Hard is the writer, and co-writer David Tui, who directed and wrote all the Pitch Black uh, Chronicles of Riddick movies, mm-hmm. Waterworld and G.I. Jane, which G.I. Jane's decent, decent film. Huh. All these guys came together and made the perfect fucking thriller. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like they, that's, I, it must have been like the stars align with the right script. The, the the right script and the right actors and how in the hell did Harrison Ford sign up for this with this kind of quote unquote talent on the line like it, it's kind of remarkable that the movie got made and made so well um, they they also yeah. there's a follow up U S Marshals did you see that I never saw that Wesley Snipes taking the role of Harrison Ford mm-hmm. I I'm surprised I didn't because I really like this film yeah this was a lot this was in my top five probably well through my late twenties until. I actually got around to watching some some really good movies, uh, but I, that's not that I don't think I want to knock the fugitive. It's just like you know, once you've seen, you know, The Godfather, and you've seen right. some Daniel Day Lewis, and you just the shit just keeps sliding downhill. I mean, Star Wars used to be in my top five too. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different kind of thing. Yeah, you know, the action thriller is not the same as the uh, crime saga drama. The other thing I was I was I was reading up in this movie, I found a lot of people decrying the fact that, that there are no more mid-budget adult thrillers. Like hmm. that's a genre. Like nowadays, you get blockbusters and indie films, mm-hmm. and that seems true. That seems it's it's very rare to see a mid-budget thriller. Why do you think that Hollywood has kind of like do this boom or bust kind of thing? I feel like. It, what the saturation of, yeah. of of thrillers in the '90s just became overwhelming because there are, you know, this movie stands head and shoulders above a lot of them, but That's there true. are countless yeah, yeah. action thrillers in made in the '90s and early 2000s. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so much that I personally got very very bored of them. Mm-hmm. They all became stale and very samey. But did you, did you did you want to force them to extinction? I mean, no, that's like, but I yeah. think it's just a natural cycle, you know? Huh. Like, people stop wanting that stuff because you've shoved it down their throat. Like so. Westerns or action films, yeah. and now they're kind of yeah. having their resurgence. Maybe we'll get the, the mid-budget thriller back. 2025. It's the year of the mid-budget thriller. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that we want to 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 talk about. Yeah, maybe I, I want to stay on the direction a little bit. Okay. Um, because I, I really like the intro of this movie a lot. Um 
you talked about the court case, but even before that, you know, where he is being interrogated by the police and it's kind of flashing back mm-hmm. to the, the night of the murder and it does this throughout the movie. But I think the thing that's interesting to me is the way that they filmed it, like this negative, almost like a film negative sort of mm-hmm. view. Um, and and in all still images, right? There was mm-hmm. there was no actual like video there, and With you the can right. I mean, a bit much. The crime scene photographer went a little overboard, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but but it it feels like that's the snapshot he has in his head of that moment. Yeah, like just a jumbled mess of still images. He doesn't quite. Uh, he's in shock at the moment, right? So he doesn't quite piece together everything in this clear picture until later on. And I like how those do come to him in like dreams, or he'll, yeah, you know, as he's, as he's trying to remember exactly what the guy's mechanical elbow looked like or prosthetic elbow looked like, yeah, as he saw it in a, a split second, and yeah, that was good. I think it's effective to show his his mental state in visual form. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Can I ask you a question? Why does the guard? on the bus immediately switched to I'm going to kill every motherfucker in this vehicle. <laughs> oh, his like, like his, his, crazed his, shotgun his, guy. His partner falls for the old, oh my God, he's sick. Come, come in here, uh, gag. Uh-huh. Uh, like any, like he's, he's like a level one D&D mook. Um, and he gets stabbed. This guy grabs the shotgun and immediately liquidates two prisoners <laughs> and starts. He, he jumped the, to some conclusions, I think. <laughs> <laughs> then he comes like yeah. I, it just feels like it's like okay I understand that you have to restrain or but it's almost like he was trying to eliminate all witnesses I, at yeah. that point like did he fuck up at the beginning did he shoot somebody he shouldn't have I don't well he shot the driver that's not a good look and then he didn't try to rescue yeah. his part but that's that all came later too I just thought that was interesting if you look it's like <laughs> holy shit he's just going he's just murdering guys he does yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I got, I, I understand the guy that stabbed the guard. All right, but mm-hmm. everybody else, like, man, just kind of chill. He's trying to just keep you from sh- shooting everybody in the bus. Yeah, that train sequence. Um, you know, I, I feel like Harrison Ford has some bad luck. Uh, Richard Kimball has some bad luck mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of this movie. You know, he's kind of a, a, it's a series of unfortunate events almost. He, his bus, he happens to be on a prison bus with a bunch of dudes who are going to cause, are trying to bust out. Then that bus flips over and lands on a fucking train track, an active train track within three minutes a train is coming up. I mean, yep. the schedule on that couldn't have been worse for him. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there was, some, there was some other thing that was really bad luck for him. And they've also got a thing for trains in this movie. You see him walking down train tracks like five times. Yeah, he he almost he's he's courting train catastrophe. He's driving an ambulance through uh, crossing bars that are lowered. There's a train coming. He's walking into a dark tunnel with no flashlight. You think he'd be a little more aware after that train track? Right. I think incident. he's a, he's a fugitive from a train. He's just like the this, the real villain of this is 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 the United States railway system. <laughs> um. I I thought that so Tommy Lee Jones is pretty amazing in crafting a character out of essentially being a slightly more straight It's so funny because Tommy Lee Jones much like Al Pacino before him fell into a little bit of this character well a little bit yeah because this Tommy Lee Jones is essentially the same character that he plays in like Men in Black for example Sure um it's a great character Mhm uh, and maybe only Tommy Lee Jones can play like this because he's just like a person that just literally single minded. 
Yeah. He's not going to stop until he gets this guy back into custody or he finds his dead body. Yeah. And I like that. And I like he's kind of got these, like, weird little folksy, you know, he's doing the whole, uh, I want you to check every farmhouse, <laughs> chicken house, outhouse, crap house, flap house, whatever. <laughs> he just goes through yeah. an improbable dog house, I think, was in there. Mm-hmm. Goes through an improbable number of houses, but it, it sells it. Now, I don't understand why his people are so crazy loyal to him because it seems like it sucks to work for him. It does, yeah. You get yelled at constantly. Uh, for nothing, you get you get deafened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have permanent hearing damage because he takes all the credit, right? And and he also says, "I don't." Did he say, "I don't bargain or don't negotiate"? Uh, I don't. I think don't bargain. Yeah. Why doesn't he? Well, like, does he get? I he feel like as a, a marshal, he would get credit for bringing them back. In, like, it's I don't know. Like, why was blowing that guy's head off preferable to bargaining? Yeah, it's a good question. I feel like the character of Tommy Lee Jones has some prejudice toward criminals, and I get it, right? Like, most of them are probably bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he seems to have an especially keen prejudice here. Uh, right. And so when Richard Kimball is labeled a criminal, I think that's that's just his trigger to go off on him. Right. Uh, same, same with the guy. You know, ob- obviously there are reasons to, you know, kill the guy who's got the cop held hostage there mm-hmm. and is shouting i'm gonna blow his fucking head off it does seem it does seem like if, if i was that guy i would have been pissed too yeah i would have requested yeah. might have requested a transfer yeah <laughs> you can uh, go work in chicago pd for a fucking muppet <laughs> a guy with too which, much skin on his face i don't know what's happening with that guy's head which one are you talking about there's the guy with the huge glasses that talk talk like a blah 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 he's like a, he's like I his mean, uh, did you find that a melting fairly off. convinced i felt i felt like they had the chicago oh, sure. he had pretty convincing chicago accents yeah absolutely all right cool uh i just couldn't get over how much of a muppet this guy looks like um but tommy like the, and also the script does him a lot of favors too because they give him these great lines like the you know we talk about the outhouse bullet yep. list but you know Harrison Ford delivering his best. I didn't kill my wife, and he just comes back with "I don't care." Yeah, that's great. a great line. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've seen anything before or since. It's just that kind of laconic and and you know because he, he doesn't, he doesn't bargain. He's not going to like humor him. Right. He's not going to do. He just wants you to know, like nothing. You you are not talking yourself out of this. Yeah, I I love how Roger Ebert describes him as the hangman, telling you, trying to make it as comfortable as possible. It's like right. he, he's going to do the thing he needs to do that right. you're not going to like. Yeah. and Put your head in here. The ropes feel nice. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing you can say to talk your way out of it. It's, right. Yeah, it's brilliant because that, that line also gives a, cer- a certain respect for him. You know, mm. like he's not the, the protagonist here necessarily. He mm. becomes one later on, I guess. But at this point, he's the antagonist, and his line, I don't care, gives you a sort of respect for the job he's doing, right? Like. That's not his job to care. He's right. not the judge, jury, and executioner here. He's just right. the guy sent to catch you. And he's not always likable either because, like, there's one point that I for- had forgotten about that's very brutal where this woman who um, apparently is the girlfriend of the other fugitive that uh, escapes with Harrison Ford at the beginning. I don't remember what the guy's name is. Girlfriend of the other fugitive. Yeah. So they come in and they they set it up where um, Harrison Ford gets picked up by this woman and you see Tommy Lee Jones licking his chops like, ah, he's 
he's uh overnighting with his hunt uh, with the honey and like and they're geared up and like oh my god they're gonna get they're gonna get him turns yeah. out they bust in this other guy's flat mm-hmm. blows this guy's head off right in front of her and she's screaming and he just snaps at her shut up yeah like jesus christ man like okay her crime is harboring a felon maybe if she knows about it but yeah have a little bit of but he doesn't he doesn't that's his character yeah does not care yeah, he's not a super likable guy, but you get that he's got a mission, and that's how he accomplishes it. Why do you think – is it a betrayal of that character for him to be so conciliatory with uh, Kimball at the end, where he's given, he's taking the cuffs off, and he's giving him ice for his knuckles or whatever, and he goes, I thought you didn't, I thought you didn't care, and he's like, oh, don't tell anybody. Har, har, har. Yeah. Like, none of his yeah, own I, dudes got it and got, got get any of that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, he's got a very different relationship at that point, I think, with Richard Kimball. And and this goes back to what I say he has a prejudice against uh, criminals. And at this point, I think he's stopped viewing Richard Kimball as a criminal. Mm-hmm. He's viewing him as a human being. And I know, you know, he doesn't show a ton of affection while he's on the job. But at this point, the job's over, right? Yeah. And, and they've kind of been through hell together. They put each other through hell, you know? That's true. Well, like... It's been hell trying to catch Richard Kimball, and Richard Kimball has gone through hell trying to avoid being caught. Well, I'll say that Tommy Lee Jones got off the best out of any of his dudes. Ponytail gets his eardrums blown out. Joey (laughs) Pants gets his face obliterated. He does. Like, I don't know why you have essentially an Mm I-beam that's suspended on tracks in a laundry mat in the middle of a Chicago high-rise. Yeah. But they got one. They do. And Joey Joey P. took one going about 20 miles an hour straight to the dome. And it was (laughs) – that. I don't – I would love to know how they did that because it's practical, right? There's no CGI. Probably maybe a styrofoam beam or something. He sold the hell out of that impact because the beam didn't stop. That's the thing, like – realistically if a steel beam like that hit your head it would not slow down right like if it was made out of foam i figured it maybe they had it on a track so it was just and then he just pant- pantomimed oh they just it. kept like pulling it yeah yeah maybe? so it wouldn't okay. it, it simulate the weight behind it because Could it be. just looks fucking brutal man it i think does. he might even had some fake blood in his mouth that he spewed when he when it hit him uh, uh good job all around it's interesting that you said that the writer wrote die hard because there is a lot of diehard in that scene. I felt very diehard in that laundry scene. That is very yeah. That that's that's the one movie that was going through my he head. He might have he might have cut and paste and find and replace some stuff on that part of the script. Yeah, maybe that's what. Maybe that it's because it's a two man script. Maybe that he just did the hey hey I got this. Once we get to the <laughs> right, high rise, right. <laughs> once we get to the high rise, uh, Tui, just 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 give it the old jab, and and I'll take it from here. You can write the scenes where you're stealing the old man's clothes, <laughs> right? I got the laundry scene. Which there's a lot of scenes where like Richard Kimball is ste- is he's stealing an old comatose man's lunch, and he yeah. kind of realizes that it's it's bad, but like, hey man, I need to, you know, yeah, he's they'll get you another plate of food if you're hungry. I, I yeah. need to eat. Right. <laughs> I also want to know what that nurse came in when she sees just like a face full of of Harrison uh, Ford hair all in that guy's sink. <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah. like you know a Sasquatch came and shaved its legs. Like, does does <laughs> does that get reported to somebody? I don't know. I didn't see the Water World in this movie though. Hmm. That, that was lost on me. Uh, that that was all about the dam. It was all oh, like yeah. it's, uh, I guess so. You got to have the expertise to write wet. 
You gotta know how to. <laughs> really you gotta know. How, you gotta know how to write wet. You can't. If a lot of people mistake that, and they'll, they'll write a dry script. That's true. But you got it. The, the true greats know how to write wet. <laughs> um, I have a little because you. So you lived in Chicago for a while. I did. Yeah. Um, I have had occasion that 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 the whole bridge scene, or not the bridge scene, the uh, the dam scene. Yeah. It's filmed on the border of North Carolina, Tennessee hmm. on US one twenty nine that they call the, the the Tale of the Dragon. It's a famous road to like, you know, motorcycling Mecca. And I've been there a bunch of times. In fact I just went there this spring on spring break with my son uh to go to Gatlinburg, but I took him through the through Deals Gap because it's awesome and I showed him the the uh the dam, which he thought was cool, but like I realized, like, oh, shit, this is, like, a 30-year-old movie you've never seen. <laughs> so you don't know why it's really cool to see that particular yeah. uh, dam. But it is uh, it uh, it is it is sweet. Yeah, so I feel a little like uh, Dr. Ken here where, you know, I, I spent some time in Chicago, like a good chunk of time. So I, not nearly as much as him, but a lot of the scenes that you see have very recognizable landmarks. Like the... The very end, they're driving away from the Magnificent Mile, um, or driving up the Magnificent Mile, which, if you've ever been to Chicago, is kind of like right on the water there, mm-hmm. and it's just like a series of really nice shops and hotels and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the other thing that struck me was that St. Paddy's Day parade, yeah, which is so Chicago, and I don't know like why this is, but Chicago really goes for it on St. Paddy's Day. They dye the fucking river green. They have these massive parades. Just, I mean, you can't do anything in downtown Chicago unless you're doing the parade partying stuff. I mean, I'm sure they have a large Irish-American contingent, but larger than Philly, larger than New York, larger than Boston? Right. I I never hear of Boston doing this stuff. Maybe they do, but Chicago has been, like, the biggest St. Paddy's Day experience I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've i heard that. I've never been been there for it. But, you know, I, I think I learned it from the fugitive, honestly. OK. Yeah. <laughs> Do they say uh, here's something I got to ask a real Chicago and oh, they say hinky a lot up there? Uh, Yeah, it's common vernacular, I think. Is it hinky? Yeah. The the river being green today is kind of hinky. I mean, that's that's the thing I don't get. So this guy says, oh, something's hinky here. And Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Jones like puts the smack down on him. Like, right. don't you ever fucking say a word that doesn't mean anything. Right. And yet this is a country yokel coming in saying, it ain't over till the big hound howls or something. Right. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. And hinky guy, I think he's the most ass-kissing of all of them. Because Ponytail, yeah. uh, uh, Ponytail and Joey Pants... Mm-hmm. And whatever the I don't I don't know what the woman is because she's like very she's not she doesn't have any characterization other than she's kind of she's appropriately gruff and she's black yeah she hardly has any lines yeah which is a shame because uh, uh, I've seen her a lot of stuff uh, L Scott Caldwell's her name uh, the guy who um, the guy who says hinky I feel like is the biggest ass kiss because mm-hmm. you know anytime Tommy Lee Jones says it refers to himself as the big dog he always does the yeah like, you yeah. Know. Um, plus, he, he also doesn't get his face or and or eardrums busted out. I feel like I feel like the ass kissing. You know, even Tommy Lee Jones is not uh, invulnerable to that. <laughs> Speaking of dying the river, uh huh. Right immediately after that scene, Richard Kimball loses his hair dye. 
Oh right! Like he marches, he marches through the the Chicago parade with hair as black as night because mm-hmm. he dies earlier on. Next next time we see him, he's got Richard Richard Kimball hair. Maybe the key is the the hat he puts on during the parade. <laughs> okay. Maybe there's some kind of magic in that hat. Maybe like a Frosty Maybe. the Snowman sort of thing. Maybe uh, it doesn't turn your hair gold; <laughs> it turns it grayish brown. Yeah. But I thought that was so weird that that was a consistent detail. Plus, it made Harrison Ford look a hell of a lot younger. Yeah. Like, once he shaved the beard yeah. and dyed his hair, it took, like, 20 years off of him. Yeah, so this is this is the weird thing about this movie because it kind of has a Superman problem, uh, like a Superman-Clark Kent problem, where you put the glasses on Superman, he still kind of looks like Superman. Yeah. And totally looks like Superman. Yeah. The same is true of Harrison Ford. Like, I was not fooled one bit. And this is a problem because he's a massive movie star. I'm super familiar with that's, his face. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, you could have... I feel like maybe nowadays they wouldn't have gone for the huge cast. Or, or if they had gone for the big cast, they would have picked somebody who could change their appearance a little bit better. Because Harrison Ford just looks like Harrison Ford. But everyone Top looks like who they look like. I but mean... I've seen people who can do transformations, right? Like, uh, you could... Maybe take a Matthew McConaughey and make him look crazy weird, or okay. Christian Bale or somebody, right? I do think that they could have. I, th- I felt I felt that the beard and the dye was actually pretty smart, but yeah. maybe throw a hat on him, like a baseball sunglasses. cap and sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. something to disguise. Harrison Ford here. knows how to hide out in plain sight. I don't think it works for him very often. No. Um. One of the, I I had in my notes that one of the reasons I think this works is because I think of Harrison Ford as a very smart man. Okay. I don't know if that's true. Uh-huh. He could be dummy. Uh, every time I see him in an interview, he is monosyllabic and yeah. very gr- uncooperative and dour and uh, <laughs> like he – Is that your idea of a smart person? Well, that's the thing. No, but I'd kind of – yeah. On the other hand, like I, I, I think you know, you see some of these actors and they're very witty and charming and they're informed and whatnot. And you can't tell anything about Harrison Ford, but he yeah. he doesn't want uh, – Harrison Ford never really wanted to be a star. Sure. He was like, I think, I mean, by all accounts, he was very content to be a carpenter, and he, he kind of got forced into the limelight by, yeah. you know, some 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 uh, luck in casting here and there. Like uh, Ron Swanson, like Nick Offerman. Yeah. I think Nick Offerman wants to be more of a star, though. Yeah, I think so. Nick Offerman is, is he's not Ron Swanson, and he yeah. seems like he's a lot more comfortable on, on screen. But I, I feel like there's something about Harrison Ford. You know, you hear he's a pilot, and he does, like, rescue work on the weekends. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he doesn't want fame and fortune, he just wants to live on his ranch, that kind of makes me think he's smarter than people that are like, fuck yeah, have access to my life 24-7. <laughs> but I don't know, there's something about, like, when he's just watching him do, like, research on prosthetics and stuff, it reads as smart. And, like, I believe that he is... Like a, a famous heart surgeon, yeah. I mean, and they, and they had some the one... people have you know just have that look, um, right? When you look at them, it always looks like something's going on behind their eyes. Yeah, um, they're thinking, and it helps you know when they don't speak very much either because it doesn't betray whatever sense you have of them. Yeah, and so. I think sometimes Harrison Ford can go pretty broad. Like um, I was joking about his finger of doom routine, where <laughs> in almost every movie he's in, like he's got this very particular thing where he gets angry and he starts jerking his finger and just starts just pointing that finger at people. Yeah. And he does he does it right off the bat. He's he's got he's got a finger of doom for both of the fucking Chicago police <laughs> police guys. He's yeah. got like fing, he's got big time finger of doom for Provasic mm-hmm. and all that all that drug bullshit that killed his wife. Um but I felt like this was a pretty small 
pretty small performance, and it it suited the role because Richard Kimball's not a flashy, demonstrative guy. It's almost like yeah. he played Richard Kimball more like Harrison Ford because when Harrison Ford is on the screen, he's playing Harrison Ford, the movie star, mm-hmm. like you know Indiana, you know Indiana Jones and Han Solo and all that stuff. So I thought those were some pretty some pretty smart choices. I also like the scene where he saved the kid's life. Okay, um, yeah, I was going to mention that one in like a sort of nuance in the performance yeah. because you can still see that he's a very charming guy, right? Uh-huh. Like he and he's a good guy. He's he's even when he might be putting himself um in danger of being caught, he's willing to help somebody. Cuz that's the thing like we've been told that he's this and that and like you know, but we really Yeah. Uh, because the movie moves so briskly along, we don't ever get to see any of that stuff. So I felt like that scene where uh, he corrects Julianne Moore's mistake and saves mm-hmm. this kid's life was 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 pretty sweet. Also, that was pretty funny that she's pissed at him. Like you know, later on, um, and ju- it's the other thing is I forgot that Julianne Moore was in this because yeah. when ju- and, and when she's in this movie, Julianne Moore wasn't Julianne Moore. She's just essentially mm-hmm. doing a bit part, uh-huh. and she wasn't famous yet. But she's like irate that this guy, I don't know, corrected her fucking bullshit diagnosis. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would probably be too. I think if you didn't know who that person was, right, and if they're dressed up like a janitor, like I get uh, it. some kind of fucking goodwill hunting moment. Right. Get out of here, you asshole. Like, right. you don't do this job. You don't know better than the people who do. But I don't think she's very smart. Because, number one, she almost killed that kid. Number two, she yeah. grabs the guy's tag. It says, wait right here. As she's walking away, she loudly says, can I get security? Can I get security for this crazy asshole that looks like Han Solo? I need security. <laughs> We're going to arrest this man and ruin his life. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I'll stand right here and wait for all that lady. <laughs> right. I'm already practicing medicine without a license. What's, you know, <laughs> you you and your scrubs yelling at me and your bouncy red ponytail isn't going to do shit. Yep. Uh, that, that was hinky. <laughs> In her defense, I think she's very, very busy and very tired. I, I don't know what's gone on here. Was there like a... Hey, I've seen Some ER. Kind of I, know, I, know how Chica- I know how Chicago Hospital. No, that's just Chicago every night. That's just Chicago. Haven't you seen ER? <laughs> I've seen some episodes. Like from 10 of ER. p.m. to 6 a.m. every night at Cook <sighs> County Hospital, it's just an onslaught, and it's 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 all that Anthony Edwards and George Clooney can do <laughs> to keep the hospital running red with, from blood. God. And they stagger. Maybe, maybe I need to watch ER. I, they do. Like I swear to God, it was like every other sh- episode they would show like Anthony Edwards emerging from the ER, blinking into the sunlight, like like he's this last survivor in a zombie film. Wow. And they're like, you know, like who? Why would anyone be an emergency <laughs> medicine doctor? Why would it's, anyone want to live in Chicago if that's happening? Yeah, it's like you know, you got a basis. you got a night, and then the asshole dr- the asshole percussionist starts playing the ER music, and then it's bodies from hell to breakfast stacked up in the corridors <laughs> uh juliana margolis is straddling some dude massaging his heart it's just eric lasalle doesn't know what he's, he's noah wiley is trying to fight off an alien invasion it's crazy uh, every night well if if julianne moore is incompetent then i have to say the first person to be fired should probably be the, the police sketch artist because holy shit they've got four different They've got four different sketches, none of which look like Harrison Ford, beard or beardless. And here's the thing. 
Uh-huh. They have a reference. <laughs> the Surrounding picture? the police sketches is a photograph. Yeah, that's fucked. Of Harrison Ford <laughs> in a beard. It's not like the guy just like, well, I can draw the beard, but once I, who knows what's underneath the hair? It's like, it's, does it's, he have a mouth? It's like I don't fucking know. Antarctica. I know there's a continent under there, but there's an ice shelf covering it. It's like. He can't even draw him with a beard right. Get the tracing paper out, man. That's yeah. all you need. Yeah, like I, I it's like I'll give you a pass if you're judging from like you're trying to synthesize six different eyewitness accounts and right. none of them know. Like I was just thinking when I was watching the guys we were guy joking about. I'm like, if someone, it, I would love for a police sketch artist to come in here and have me try to describe you. Yeah, like I feel like I know your face, but if I close my eyes, I, I couldn't. Like, what kind of nose do you have? Yeah, what kind of eyebrows do you have? I'm pretty sure your eyes are blue. You got the hair kind of pompadour thing. This like, is the exact like, that's problem. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you look yeah. like Mr. Potato Head by the time <laughs> right. I'm done. I look like the chief of police. But, but here's the thing I don't get about police sketch artists. It's like I understand you, you can't draw a guy exactly, but so many of these guys don't even draw what looks like a recognizable human. Yeah. Like you get yeah. these sketches and it looks like a fucking gray from the X-Files or something. Like their foreheads <laughs> are five times bigger than they could possibly be. They have no chin. Uh, At like, least study human anatomy before yeah. you decide to draw for the police. I feel like the police sketch artist is just the dude who really liked to draw in high school and is kind of a frustrated artist. And yeah. you know, maybe he maybe he shot a kid accidentally. He's on permanent <laughs> desk duty. And that's one what of he those does. indentured servitude sort of things. <laughs> no, just like I, you know, I don't want to go out and get a, you know, I just I, I'll just I'll just draw. I'll just I'll just draw sketches. That's the thing. There's got to be a lot of criminals in prison who can draw, right? Mm. Who can sketch really well. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Just go hire some of them. I imagine know? mostly of this instead done. of having them make license plates or whatever the fuck they do in prison now, I, have them sketch. Well, what I understand is. I don't understand why, like, I, I, this should all be computer stuff now. And I, I remember yeah, yeah. in The Wire, there's a scene where Herc and Carver are playing with the sketch artist program to, <laughs> uh, Herc is trying to make the prettiest woman alive, and it's a oh, horror Jesus. show. Um, but I feel like that if it's all computerized now, why aren't they any better? Like, you should, you should present a guy, yeah. like, it's kind of like, um, you know, customizing a character in an RPG game. Like, you got yeah. 50 different noses to pick out. Which one looks most like that guy, okay? Do we need to make a hot... <laughs> it, it should, this should be a science. You can get out... Why do we still have these fuckers trying to do, you know, sh- shading with charcoal pencils and... I actually think I could get closer erasers. on a Nintendo Wii, just making me yeah, sure. like, in the me factory. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, no, my me looks exactly like me. yeah. Except they, for he can't get as fat as I'm actually in real life. That's got, the thing that the frustration. <laughs> all I'm very frustrated with because I always try to make a, a character look like me. I don't. I know you don't. You try to make some some <laughs> freak up from the wasteland, like that 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 stumbled out of the mega city and Judge Dredd, and he's been out there in radiation too long. That's what your goal is. I try to make a guy look like me. I can never make him as fat as I am. All right, I just did a, a Google search for Harrison Ford me, and it comes up with something way better. Than the sketch artist for the police did. Yes, it's so much closer. You would closer. pick that guy up off the street, Chicago, in five minutes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that actually looks better. We should put that in the show notes because that will. actually looks better than. That should be the uh, cover image for the the post. All right. Well, there's five minutes on sketch artistry that no one asked for. We've got another hour fifty on it. If, okay. If we ever get prompted yeah, that again, just, that was just our quick five minute set. Yep. Uh, the workshop in here. Um. I think one of the big tragedies of this movie is realization that Dr. Kimball's wife died 
so assholes could make money on medicine. And she wasn't even the target. And what's funny is like I feel like in the early nineties, people haven't really hadn't really gotten mad at the medical complex yet. Yeah. It was all like, about Wall Street. It's all yeah, it was all like that, that this movie's kind of really ahead of its time as far as, you know, the profit margin and motives for 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 hospitals and medicine and drugs being an issue. I mean, it mm-hmm. it led to like all this death and destruction. Um I don't know, I thought that was an interesting angle too because now everybody's like pissed off about how much drugs are charging and like the the fact that they're uh, uh you know marketing directly to the public and they got all these crazy side <laughs> right. effects and there's all these pharmaceutical reps that ply doctors with, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of deals and junkets and stuff and, you know, questioning about why we allow this in the system. But I thought that was an inter- interesting angle that I had com- – I mean, I didn't forget about it, but it's like, wow, that was kind of ahead of its time. I don't think I ever understood it as a kid watching this movie. Right, um, right. It, it was over my head. Like, uh, I don't know, they killed her because, of, you know, it was a mistake. They wanted to kill him because – they wanted to take over the hospital or something. You know, it was, yeah, it's a MacGuffin. Like, there's something right. in medicine, and I don't know. But, like, you clearly um, – I you know, they, they really efficiently – they really efficiently do that plot, right, as mm-hmm. too, because you kind of – you kind of track the investigation. You find that stuff as Richard, uh, as yeah. Dr. Kimball finds out. And I also thought it was a really good twist to show that his best friend was the one that was actually behind it because they had, mm-hmm. like, these – third parties that were plausible like if you, you, you he finds out this one guy who's in the fish picture with the one-armed man and you think oh there's the bastard but then by the end of the movie you appreciate that he was just a patsy too and was murdered to, right. to cut for the other doctor to cover up his his nefarious deeds yeah and uh, by the end i think he has a what a seat on the board of directors uh-huh. at that company yeah big 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 shareholder bucks i also yeah. thought it was great that you saw tommy lee jones you know He's 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 one step behind him, not only in the in the manhunt, but also in the investigation. Like he's piecing this yeah. together as he goes along too. He is, um, yeah. And I think at the end, you know, that's that's part of what changes Tommy Lee Jones' mind about Harrison Ford is they're they're sort of the same creature. You know, they're both tenacious and both persistent and uh, unwielding and or unyielding rather. And I think that. You know that wins him over in the end. So along with the, the facts, <laughs> in 1993, Tommy Lee Jones was recognizably human. <laughs> he was. Uh, he when was. did Batman Forever come out? I, I mean, the bags are still there. You can see the beginnings of the bags, the proto bags. Yeah, um, Batman Forever must have been 95. Was it? I guess 95. Okay. Okay. So. Are we sticking with the theory that Tommy Lee Jones was actually splashed with acid in <laughs> Batman Forever? It's the or only explanation. Is it possible? Did he did he spend some time in Russia? Could he have gotten like like is did Vladimir Putin poison him? Because he looks like also <laughs> his face could be a result of someone narrowly surviving whatever yeah. crazy ass poison that P- Putin was killing his political rivals with. It's possible. It, 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 could there be like a a pharmaceutical cover-up of this film. There was an attempt <laughs> to actually yeah. cover cover up the Tommy, release of this film. There, there was a whole bunch of prop provasic made, <laughs> right. and Tommy Lee Jones, for one for whatever reason, just decided to take it all. Well, it was a cut scene. There, yeah. there was a scene. It got deleted before they released it, but he just had to down bottle and bottle after bottle. He was testing to make sure that the drugs <laughs> uh, actually had no side effects. Yeah. 
Uh, but they decided to go with the liver sample thing instead. <laughs> oh, there's a side effect. You get timely Joan face. You yep. get you get a sack full of butthole face. <laughs> um, okay, so do we have anything else to talk about the film? Because uh, Doctor Kane has some questions to propound to us. Uh, I think I'm good for now. All right. Uh, first up, do you think that you, Jim Jones, could do what Doctor Kimball does? I.e. With the skills that you possess, would you be able to evade the law and find a killer in your office that has set you up? Oh, God, obviously, no. that would just be the other guy. But let's pretend you work in a bigger office. So, yeah, obviously, if there's an office, yeah. office, uh, an office murder intrigue, uh, it would be the perfect crime because the one guy'd be dead and the other guy'd be alive. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Have you ever thought about like if you were wrongfully accused or if you had done some kind of like in a in a uh, I don't know? You have to. You're hunted by the federal government because mm-hmm. you blew the lid wide open on some kind of conspiracy, and you have to righteously evade the law. Yeah. How long do you think you'd last? Uh, very few minutes. Yeah. I mean, they would find me. They would know where I am within seconds. Mm. Probably because they'd, like, track my phone, and I'd be too stupid to take the battery out or something. Actually, yeah. I couldn't because it's an iPhone. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, That's how they'd get me. If I'd only switched to I'm Android. Not, I'm not going to not stop using my 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 iPhone. Right. Um, I I don't. There's not very many Android batteries that are changeable anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I I couldn't. I don't think I could get out of their jurisdiction. Like, I don't think I have a way out of the country other yeah. than to literally go south or north and walk across the fucking border. Do you have a passport? I do, yeah. Okay, but, well, there's you got at least one step ahead. Yeah, but if they see me using my passport at a border crossing, well, hey, once you get in the Juarez, it's over. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, then you, okay. then the cartel rounds you up, and right. you're in trouble. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I flatter myself that I'm pretty clever, but the reality is, in the 21st century, it's just really hard to hide. Yeah, cameras everywhere. Uh, yeah. Facial recognition. Yeah, you're gonna get caught. Yeah, like if you, I mean. Unless you just go out into the Pacific Northwest and camp out with Bigfoot for the rest of your life yeah, and try to cross some unguarded section of the U.S.-Canada or Mexican border, yeah, if you get on a plane, you get on a train, yeah. you cross a border like that's got an actual cross, you, even if the border patrol don't recognize you, you're right. The facial recognition is going to get you. Yeah, I don't think I would last very long at all. A matter of days, maybe. Yeah. I don't think that's the thing is I also think the first 24 hours is crucial. Like, do I know... Before they sent out the bolos, do I know that they're looking for me? And do I am I ready right. to just like cash out everything I've got in my checking account? I mean, let's go with the same scenario, right? So you yeah. escape from a train crash, uh, and you hear the hounds barking. How long do you last? Oh man, see, I feel like I'd have a better. That would be a better setup because I don't have a cell phone. I don't have. I've been. I'm kind of already off the grid. Uh-huh. I just have to get as far away from. But you know, that's the thing. I'm not in great shape. Sure, uh, not either. And, um, you know, while I've got more roughing experience than you, like I've never like I've never made a sleeping bag out of leaves. I've always <laughs> had a, at least a tent. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. Like I said, I flatter myself to think I'd be good at it, but I just feel like it's it's just too hard. How good are you at stealing people's clothes? Because <laughs> um, I think that's all it takes to survive. Yeah. Like, I don't know even know where you would go. Like Richard, he he went and used he used his knowledge of the hospital because I guess there's locker rooms and stuff in there. But like, mm-hmm. plus the other thing is, Harrison Ford is six foot one, maybe six foot two. I call bullshit that he can just randomly walk around and steal people's clothes. 
Yeah. Because that you would have a better time because you're you're kind of like the default setting for male as far as your measurements. You'd okay. have a yep. much better chance of just walking into some random thing, grabbing some clothes and getting out of it. Yeah. Whereas like me, it's like, you know, I've got a big gut and I'm like six foot two, so I have giant thighs and ass, even if I didn't have the gut. So, like, you know, it's going to be a horror show. <laughs> okay. I mean, so you want to be fashionable while you're escaping. No, but I'm saying, like, I don't want to look like Tweedle fucking dumb, like, with my gut, like, hanging half moon of my gut hanging out of this stretched out T-shirt. You're... you're full-length jeans that are actually capris on you yeah and like, like you, know, you know like how harrison ford is walking around and these clothes are like slightly <laughs> too large for him that yeah. never happened with me oh yeah. i'm gonna fall i'm gonna I, i'm gonna rip off a guy who's like six six foot four <laughs> six foot five and weighs 300 pounds right hopefully otherwise i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna really stick out yep uh okay so yeah we, we're both not high on our evasion potential here uh, two, going from 1980 on, who is the top leading man of our generation? Oh, I think Christ. it comes down to Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington, or Tom Hanks. Uh, we've got some real action drama guys. Hanks is more of a comedy drama. I have a hard time choosing, but I have to go with Tom Hanks. What are your thoughts? I want to add, before we, wow. before we de- deliberate, I want to add a couple more names to the list. I think these, if you're calling Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise and Washington and Hanks as contemporaries, I think you need to throw Daniel Day-Lewis in there. Mm -hmm. Jack Nicholson. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's slightly older, but not that much. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Okay. I mean, yeah, it depends on where you draw the lines, because I could also see, like, uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, like... Are are roughly the era of I feel like they're a little the like that's the thing of like Robert Redford is arguable, but then yeah. like Paul Newman, he's like he's starting to get like thirty five. Like that's yeah, that's that's out of the generation. And I feel like Clooney is kind of the cutoff for like at, now you're dealing with the Brad Pitts and the George Clooney's and the Matt right. Damon's and the Ben Affleck's and and that generation, the Leonardo DiCaprio's. So I'm trying to go with these like middle aged leading men. Um, I mean, Harrison Ford's got the box office. I still think he's the highest. I think it's maybe it's it's between him and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I think Harrison Ford, surely after the last Star Wars, The Force Awakens, he's got the box office belt of all time. Yeah, he's got to. Um, the problem with Harrison Ford is I've seen shockingly few of his like really serious. Like I've seen Witness and Mosquito Coast and like Sabrina, uh, but I've not he... seen like. There's so many other films that he's been in 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 the, like the the prime of his career in between yeah. Star Wars and Fugitive that I haven't seen, and I kind of saw his his <laughs> second re- Renaissance where he had like Air Force yeah. One and and the Tom Clancy adaptations where he's more of a conventional action hero, but a lot a lot of the serious dramatic like leading I don't none of those roles except for maybe Sabrina are leading man roles they're action hero roles I feel yeah. like leading man is something completely different. It's, it implies dramatic, implies uh, char- char- charisma and chemistry that you'd have with your other, that I think Harrison Ford probably has. I just haven't seen evidence of it. Yeah, no, I think he cer- certainly has it. I mean, you look at Star Wars, I, I totally agree that he has it, but he doesn't always show it. You're right. Um, I was trying to come up with other people, and I was looking at George Clooney. I guess he was born in, like, 61 or something. He's not that old. But then I looked at Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise was born in 62, so yeah. he's not that old either. That's the problem. We're throwing in a seven, We're throwing in some se- a, a 70, almost 80-year-old man with yeah. a bunch of 50, 60-year-olds. 
So yeah. Harrison Ford is actually kind of like I don't know. Like I said, he he's got the biggest box office. Um, he's hmm. is he my favorite actor still? I don't I don't think he's my favorite actor. I, don't I mean, mean he's, he's at the he's range. certainly like right. That's the problem with he's Harrison a movie Ford. star. He is, but is he a great actor? Uh, here let me ask you this. I don't know about that. Tom Hanks, he did Castaway. Mm-hmm. How many other actors could do what he did in Castaway? Not a lot. On the other hand, um, I've seen Harrison Ford play some good villains. Tom Hanks, I think the closest he got was The Road to Perdition, where he was like a morally ambiguous gangster type, but he still had a mm-hmm. you know recognizable moral compass. Can Tom Hanks play a villain? What about The Circle? No, he plays he plays a douchey Silicon Valley executive. Yeah, not the same. Some thing. might label him a villain. Um, like Denzel Washington's got a mean streak. In oh him. yeah, Denzel can knock villain out of the park. But I feel like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks, the two the two Toms here, can't play bad guys. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. So to me, that says that it's between Harrison and Denzel, or like I said, Daniel Day Lewis. Although I think he's too young. Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino. Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro certainly have to be contemporaries of Harrison Ford. Um, yeah, I don't. I I I feel comfortable giving it to Harrison Ford. The problem is he hasn't had a really strong back half of his career. I'm I'm actually I want to give it to Tom Hanks just because of the longevity of his career. Right. Um, well, he is the, still like super relevant in my mind. Certainly. Certainly. Whereas like I can't. I mean, obviously, Harrison Ford has kind of purposely gotten out of the limelight, right? I mean, he still works. Doesn't do like, as many movies. He was in Ender's Game, but he wasn't great. Like, honestly, yeah. The Force Awakens is the first time I've seen him not phone something in in, like, 15 years. And I think right. that's mostly because he was excited that they finally were going to kill Han Solo and he'd never be drugged <laughs> yeah. back into this yeah. shit again. But, I mean, in the last few years, I've seen Tom Hanks do oh, yeah. a lot of different stuff. Like, when he did Sully, I thought that was a really excellent performance. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I I honestly might give it to Tom Hanks because he because of the longevity of his career, he is able to do both dramatic and comedic very very well. Yep. Um I don't know. I I I just think I enjoy seeing Tom Hanks on the screen more than any of those other three. Yeah, I get a thrill too. And he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been in a lot of crappy cuz he's for some reason he keeps doing these Robert Langdon Da Vinci Code bullshit. Oh roles. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that are not great, but you know he had Bridge of Spies. Did you see that? No, that was great. Um, Captain Phillips was great. Oh, uh, right. Cloud Atlas was <laughs> interesting. Okay, and it was a it was a challenging role, extreme a uh, role, extremely loud and incredibly close. Um, mm. yeah, he's he's got a lot of shit. Uh, he hasn't really not worked any time of his career. I mean, he's just like churning out this stuff sometimes he's doing two and three movies a year yeah so yeah i think i think you're right if you're going and the charisma on jet, him for, is off for, the charts for, yeah he he really is he, he's like right there with harrison and in, in charisma um i just don't think he's got that that mean streak that he can tap into you're right so you're right. denzel has all that too that's what i'm saying I, honestly yeah those are those are all good choices i don't know that i can pick a pure winner yeah but I suppose I enjoy watching of all of them the most Tom Hanks. And, and, and like in this fugitive movie, any of these guys except for maybe Tom Cruise, I think could pull off this role. Like Denzel could be Doc, no problem. He could be Doctor Kimball. Yeah, Tom Hanks would be Doctor Kimball. Although, would you buy Tom Hanks in some of the physicality? 
so I I actually think Denzel Washington has that sort of you know gears behind the eyes uh-huh, sort of thing sure, way right. more than a Tom Hanks. He also has a physical presence, like like yeah. Um, Harrison Ford looks like he could he he could run from a train and jump off of a a, a, a dam and survive uh-huh. like a one in a million thing. Like Denzel's similarly sturdy. Yep. I don't know about Tom Hanks. Yeah. Probably wouldn't buy. It he did much. survive. Uh, he did survive a plane crash mm-hmm. in a freight plane. In a jump and he seat. wasn't. He, he was, I don't even think he was even buckled in. He wasn't might that not part have been, of it? Yeah. Like, how the hell does he live through that? I don't know. In the middle of the ocean, and then he just washes up like face down in the water. Some indeterminate time later, landing on a crate full of volleyballs. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Um, so I think that's it. That's it, unless you have any other closing thoughts. No. Uh, thanks once again, Dr. Ken, for commissioning this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as the Liberty Valance, Valance one. And, uh, uh, again, special thanks for that. I It was nice. It was nice to go back down memory lane, and I was gratified to see this film that I really, really liked from my early – uh, from my my adolescence and early adulthood that it, 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 held, it held up. Held yeah, up like a champ. Definitely. Up next for our commissions is the film Shutter Island, mm, which is going to be okay. which is going to be fun. Um, so speaking of one of our greater greatest uh, actors from this this new generation, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, we'll be back with that real soon, uh, and you can check that out at BallMove.com when it finally drops. Until then, I'm Aaron, and I'm Jim. See ya.